Securities and advisory services offered through Investicorp, member FINRA, SIPC. Information provided during the J. Arnold Wealth Management Company show is intended for informational purposes only and should not be considered advice. Please consult with your own investment advisor or tax advisor before making any investment decisions. This is the J. Arnold Wealth Management Show. Well, I thought that's what this is. News Radio 570 WKBN, and here's the star himself, John Hi. Arnold. Hey, Ron, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. And, uh, well, let's get underway here and find out what's going on in the world of finances, first and foremost. I'll tell you, when you ask how I am, I got out of my bonds and into uh, an S&P fund. Good for you. Good for you. What? Please tell me you did that a little while ago, not today. Well, not today. No, I didn't do it today. But but, but what day? Even you're doing it still. Don't delay. Absolutely. Yeah, you got to get out of the way of the train because it's coming. Right. Explain to people why you don't like bonds and or bond funds, so that so that they can hear this uh, because of interest rates. So people get a lot of this. A lot of times, folks, if you're if you got four hundred one k's of retirement, a lot of times they'd say, "Well, put a percentage in bonds that they're safe and all this kind of stuff." Uh, but uh, John isn't crazy about those. Well, I don't think anybody, any money manager, any uh, investment advisor that knows really knows what's going on with the market is crazy about them. Matter of fact, I would say that other than uh, crazy, I would say just completely against it. Uh, right now, you you have an inevitable mathematic equation coming. When interest rates are rising, bond prices are lowering. That's a, that's a mathematical fact. Uh, and so, let me give you the answer to your question and. and, and Relation to example. So in the early 80s, early 80s were the Jimmy Carter years, the early Reagan years, um, interest rates, and a lot of people always bring this up to me, they could tell me, man, I can remember when I was getting 16% on my money market or my, in my CDs. And they also say the bad part was is we couldn't get a house that we could afford because, you know, it was maybe five to six times the amount of payment that we could afford because the interest rate, interest on the money was so high. People would argue. People, people would make right. the argument that at that time the interest rates were in the favor of savers versus borrowers. And that, you know, well, it's not an argument. That's a yeah. fact. Yeah. yeah. But go ahead. No savers versus borrowers, and now it's and and for years they've been more in the advantage of borrowers versus savers. Yeah, I think actually you probably were coming out of Akron around that time. Uh, you probably remember that. You probably remember that that uh, particular uh, oh, history John, really, really well. John, that was before I was born. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. How, could I, how could I not forget? Um, and in all seriousness, so listen, if you in that Jimmy Carter years, in the, in the early Reagan years, interest rates obviously went from sixteen percent all the way down to the to the last year to zero percent. So in during that during that time, you had a thirty-year bull market on bonds. So anybody who was in, like, typical bonds, long-term bonds, corporate bonds, just made money hand over fist if they were decent companies on, you know, on the return on, on in, uh, the investment of the bond raise, rising the par or above. I mean, they just killed it. In addition to that, obviously, they got, they got a little bit of interest along the way. Well, it's, it's the exact opposite situation right here, and, and that's why uh, I actually fear – for Trump, because there's a good chance he could do everything right, and you have a market a bond implosion, the market bond market collapse is going to send everything, you know, basically, and and, and 
imploding, and including the equity market. And you might have a, a year or two year bull bear market because of it. I, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying there's a good a good possibility that he can he can actually his success can actually end up being his demise because he can cause an inflationary environment. He can cause interest rates to rise because we're just doing too good. Anyways, back to your question. So the what happens is is when you put money into a rising interest rate environment, if you own bonds. Uh, you you could very well destroy your portfolio because you might just for so many decades now you've just been taking your eye off the prize and saying ah it's good it's Timco Total Return Bond Fund or it's this high yield corporate bond fund that's been doing pretty decent for me over the past ten years twenty years etc. Before you know it you don't pay attention to the bond market and damn you, you know you might have just lost a bunch of money so if you're in if you're a lot of your four hundred one ks and four hundred three bs and Pension plans and basically anything that has an equity mar- equity portfolio to it also has various bond portfolios, debt portfolios in it. So keep your eye on that if you're an investment per- if you're a person that watches the market or if you're invested in four hundred one k's or whatever have you. Keep your eye on it. You sh- and, and so that the the sad part about this whole thing is is for people who are are risk adverse or for people who are, that are risk adverse or people who hate the stock market and the volatility. There's really no place to hide. You can use, used to be able to hide in, obviously, bonds. Well, internationals is volatile as the day is long. Uh, SP 500 obviously carries up and down risk with it, uh, or downside risk, I should say. And then, obviously, the bond market that you used to be able to hide in to get your 3 or 4% now has a, a very good chance of imploding on you. So um, you're going to be forced, if you want any kind of return or any kind of gain, you're going to be, unfortunately, forced to take a little bit of risk unless you just want to park it in cash to make your one to a half percent, which things. So we're, we're caught in this perfect trap, this perfect storm as investors to where you're almost having to take some kind of risk in the equity market and, and hope for the best. And, uh, and so so bonds aren't the way to go right now, but they would always say, and address this, you know, they always say, well, you got to base it on your age, you know, if you're uh, – 50, you should have 50% stocks and, you know, the rest in bonds and this kind of stuff. You, know, you remember those equations? Those are all kind of out the door now, aren't they? Yeah, those particular um, portfolio designs, what they, which we call those RH-based designs, are, are, are definitely out the door. I mean, they're, they're, they don't even they don't, they make any kind of sense now because, again, unless you're in, like, 30-day bonds, you, you have a lot of risk out there. Uh, just in math, and then obviously, um, if you're designing, say, a 60-year-old's portfolio that is going to retire the, the first time he hits 62, and he's telling you, "Listen, I don't, I don't want the risk, but I want to beat a CD." You're looking at him like crazy. I'd like, what do I do here? You know, what do I do for you here? Because if you do, if a, if a client, here's the trap you're in as a financial advisor, if a client comes in and says, "Listen, I have clients like this have all the time." Probably three out of ten a week telling me I'm not one for risk. Uh, you know I can't I, I can't handle it, etc. I'm going to retire next amount of years. Um, you know all the, all I want to do is get my four or five percent return and, and go home. And now I would be out of compliance to your client because there's nothing I know that does that except for an annuity, a fixed annuity, and then obviously they're good with annuities. You know, a lot of people, including me, don't like those because then you're trapped into something for a long, 
long period of time, and the insurance company usually benefits ten times as much as the client. So, what, what I'm where I'm going with that is, is you're, you're looking at the client crazy eyed because you're trapped. You don't want FINRA and the state, the security department, and SEC down your down your neck. You want to appease your client, but the, ultimately, the client they are the boss. So if they come to you and and they and they have a and not only because they they get what they want, but you know, you you are as an advisor, you you try to you try to be use common sense and say, yeah, if you're going to retire within ten years, you shouldn't be heavily equity, regardless of how blue chip they are. But now, what do you do? That that's the trap that we're in, and and I feel bad for those middle aged investors out there because, my God, what do you do for them? So you got to convince them the risk reward in designing a moderate portfolio. Meaning that you know maybe we do some S and P five hundred, maybe we do some healthcare, uh, you know, high quality dividend paying core stocks like AT and T, and uh, you know maybe pepper in a thirty day bond fund, thirty day being key limit of maturity, and hopefully you know we get four or five percent. But you got to tell the client, listen, <clears throat> no matter how strong the S and P five hundred is or this or that, there's going to be times where that particular index or indices lose. And you have to know that, Mr. Mr. Client, but you should know this. Since 1929, that SP 500's averaged 8% over every 10-year period. So if you're willing to give me the same amount of time that a CD, you know, you would normally give it a CD, which is three years, we should, should be in the key word, be able to give you a decent return. But you have to know there's going to be times where you open up your statement that you're going to be pissed off at me. I'm going to be straight with you. You're going to be mad. And there's not a damn thing I can do about it if you want any kind of return. And some of the clients will say, listen, you know what? I can't do it. I can't. I, I just can't. I, I, I can't. I can't risk this, and I can't. It's, even, if, even if you don't think it's risk, I just can't stomach seeing my statement go down any because it's too scary because my years to earn are over. And I have a hard time arguing with them saying, you know what, you're right. So we we are in absolutely a perfect storm from an from an investment advisor standpoint that cares about his clients, and from a client perspective to where they're trying to get return. You, you man, you're over a barrel and up a creek with no paddle. That, that's the best I could tell you. Right, but uh, but uh, you know, just based on just so people understand where, how interest rates affect bonds, you know, and like you say, interest rates are only going to go up; they're not going to come down. That's bad for bonds, and uh, a lot of people th- th- that that equation is something that you should really give some consideration to in your own four hundred one k. My thinking was, and my you know, my options are all fidelity, folks. I mean, you know, and, and some of those aren't that best, that great options, incidentally. But, uh, you know, I said to myself, well, the diversification in the S&P, I'm comfortable with it. You know, you get you kind of got a lot of diversity there, too, so you're spreading out the risk on a fund that kind of mirrors that. And you know what? It, it, the fees are really low on that fund, too. So, oh, they're almost non-existent. Right, and that's, you know, that's something else people need to look at. Would you not agree, John? I As yeah. I got older, I got more and more cognizant of some of the fees that they charge you on, even within your own 401k or something, on, on particular funds. Because so, talk about some of those fees, because in some cases, if you make a 2 or 3%, that all goes to your fees. Well... Yeah, you're, you, if you're making 3%, you're probably clearing one and a half. So, <laughs> that, that's the problem. 
Well, and that's a good lead into another particular subject, and that's why my clients are either in pure equities, which are stocks, and that's for the people that are willing to take that risk. But the majority of the clients that I have are in very low-cost electronic, excuse me, I always call it electronic, low-cost exchange-traded funds. And let me give you a prediction here, Ron, that I can't prove. Straight up, just can't prove, but I, but I think in 10 years, the term mutual fund won't exist. I think mutual funds will can be completely old hat, like horse and carriage in the investing world. I think the entire investing world is going to go to exchange-traded funds, which I've been using for six years now. But an exchange-traded fund is identical to a mutual fund. Same manager, same philosophy, same, uh, same sector type, same everything. It's identical, except that it carries about a one to one and a quarter percent less internal charge. So. You wouldn't believe how many times I talk to people a week when I'm going against another advisor or when, I, when I'm breaking down my cost and why I try to convention to go from a 401K to JR and a wealth management, you know, my our advisory firm, and, and comparing apples to apples. Well, I would say nine out of ten clients have no idea there's an internal cost inside the mutual fund. They think there's something, but they have no idea what it is. But your average internal cost on a mutual fund, after all the fees are calculated, are going to be between somewhere between three-fourths of a percent to one and a quarter percent. So if you made 10%, you're probably clearing nine on an average. And you say, well, what the hell? Who cares? Because at the end of the day, nine is a good number. Well, that if you take that and amortize it or, 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 or back it out through a financial calculator and, and show on, say, maybe 500000 what that 1% cost you compounding-wise, I bet you'd wake up real quick. You'd say, you know what? You're right. This, this compounding effect is out of favor for me. And the other thing that I, uh, that I like about the ETS versus the mutual funds are you can get out of them during the market. So let's say, God forbid, again, this is just truly hypothetical. God forbid that a terrorist attack happened on, uh, say, the Golden Brigade Bridge got blown up tomorrow. I can get all of our clients out on the click of a mouse out of the market with an exchange-traded fund, which is almost 1% less than a mutual fund with the same exact management system and the same diversification, versus having to ride that whole day's market loss out and maybe in an opening up to sell the next day. So we are locked in as, as investment advisors from 9.30 to 4 if you're inside uh, you know, a, a mutual fund. That's just the way it is. They trade after 4 o'clock, so you, you get stuck. An exchange, an exchange traded fund, I can get out of that son of a gun at any time uh, as fast as I can click that mouse and I'll get, I'll get the market order. So not only from a, a purely a fee-based standpoint am I in an advantage uh, by using ETFs, but I'm also, to, uh, in my opinion, even more importantly, I'm in an advantage using exchange traded funds because I can actually control the outcome of my client to an extent as far as on the downside. I can, I can manage the risk on the downside versus having to eat that day's loss on the downside to say if we had an 87 market crash again. So between the fees and the, and the, and the uh, liquidity of, of getting out of that market on your particular mutual fund versus ETF, I think ETFs have it, have it 1,000% over, uh, excuse, uh, over mutual funds. And, uh, and that's that. And, and I, I would think that anybody who has your mutual funds at this point in time is either doing it for their own benefit for the load or they don't know what they're doing. 
That's a, and that will put my line in the sand on that. Right, but I mean, that's the whole point of the broadcast is to kind of explain the difference between these things. But I don't think a lot of people, you know, when they look at a statement or they look at things, know how to say, well, how do I know what the fee is for this particular funds? You know, they what are they charging me? They don't even have a clue. Well, yeah, and that's another thing. You wouldn't believe how many people say, you know, as a matter of fact, not, the, not only do they say, but they get highly irate because they get so much mail from us, in particular, uh, investment companies because of the nineteen, you know, the act, the Investment Act of nineteen thirty four, which requires all packaged products to, to basically, you know, investment products to issue a prospectus upon uh, solicitation or delivery. So, my my point is this: <clears throat> so those those prospectuses, in all fairness to the client. They're written for lawyers. They're written by they're written by lawyers, and they're written written for lawyers. Unless you have a law degree or a very uh, or a, you're a CFA, it's hard, probably hard for the client to understand all those moving parts inside the prospectus and the legal disclosures and the things. But there, there's something called a fact sheet for every mutual fund out there. That's very it's written for the it's written uh, for the client. It's been reviewed by the by FINRA and the SEC to say yes, these are these have been audited and the, the, these figures are, are been, have been substantiated. This is just not uh, a bunch of horse manure written on a piece of paper, and it's it's written and it's, it's written so you as a client can understand it. And if you can't understand a fact sheet, you have no business being investing in the stock market, especially a mutual fund. So let me just put that out there as well. If you can't understand the, the, the basics of a fact sheet of a mutual fund, get the hell out of the stock market because you're going to get torn apart and you're going to get your heart broke and all hell's going to break loose for you in the future because that market is going to go down someday. And in addition to that, you should be understanding, as you and I have brought up many times, what are you invested in, what you are invested in, period. Fact sheets written in, in, in a very common-sense terms, Plain Jane. Here's the one year, the three year, the five year. Here's the fees, uh, the average fees. Here's our managers. This is how long they've been doing it. Here's their philosophies. Here's their credentials behind them. And if you if you piggy that up to the prospectus, you have a very good chance of understanding what you're investing invested in, um, how this is going to perform for you, potentially being the key word. And where this fits in as far as your portfolio, is this a growth and income for, uh, play? Is this a balanced play? Is this a pure growth play? Is this a micro cap, et cetera? And when you're reading, when you're doing, you know, when you're making your, your allocation, whether it's in your 401k or 403b, or you're just designing your own investment plan and your, your own personal financial plan, you're, you're, you have, somewhat of an idea of where this fits in versus maybe small cap, large cap, mid cap, value, pure growth, balanced, um, or maybe if it, you know, obviously if it's a bond fund, is this a sector fund, et cetera. So I know I'm rambling a little bit, but it's very important for our listeners out there to know that there's very many vehicles and there's very many tools out there, many, to assist you with understanding what you're invested in and how to make a rational decision. Now, if you partner up with somebody that does what I do, fee-based planning on a on a obviously a performance basis, um, I think you have a better chance of winning uh, what you're trying to accomplish, uh, achieving your objective financially, 
versus just going in blind and, and like you said, going to Fidelity, buying Magellan Fund and, and low price stock fund. And I'm just making these up, by the way. Uh, Fidelity, Big Cap, etc. And you have no idea what the heck you're buying. And if you get lucky, great. If you're not, you can hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, these are just important th- important things to know. You, you know, to understand. Uh, what what are bonds? What makes them go up and down? Is it a time to reassess your retirement based on those bonds uh, and those old formulas? Uh, just from that perspective, the difference between an ETF and a mutual fund, and uh, and where on your statement, how you look on your statement to find out what you know what basically what the fee is for that kind of stuff, because usually if you get in any type S and P thing, the fees are uh, like you say almost slim and none for the. I mean, you know that that you're going to. I pay. think Vanguard's point one, so that's point one percent of a percent. Yeah, like in Van, like like if you're really looking to get into some stuff, of course it depends what your 401k has. Vanguard is a pretty on your own is a pretty good way to go, is it not? That's excellent. And if you get into you get into their exchange traded funds, extremely low cost. Their managers are excellent. Uh, you can get into a fee based platform with with Vanguard funds with your advisor. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I had to sneeze. Uh, you can get into a fee-based platform with your advisor using Vanguard funds if you have the right platform. And then most, most guys like me do that, use use a platform that we are a la carte. So you can still keep your Vanguard funds, and you can still partner that up with uh, the person or the team you trust. And then you're on your way because, again, Vanguard specializes in low cost. I got to tell you, I don't know how they got away with this, and, and maybe it's just more of a sales system. But, like, the guys that sell upfront up load 5.75% funds, like American Funds and Franklin Templeton, and how they've convinced clients to pay that fee for the same exact type of management, the same exact results, and the same exact product at Vanguard is beyond me. So you can buy those same exact things at T. Rowe Price, Fidelity, et cetera, and, and say instead of buying Growth Fund of America or, or – or Amer- you know, American Growth Fund, or whatever you want to call it, Fidelity, or excuse me, Franklin Temple, this or that. It's literally amazing to me. For every $100,000 you're giving that advisor, you're coming out that next day at $95,000. That means you got to start, you really got to, you got to make up $6,000 just to break even over the next year to even just start to make money. That to me is nuts. It's absolutely crazy, and here's the saddest part. Not knowing any better when I started the business in 2000, that's what I did. I sold annuities, and I sold up for, you know, great uh, for low mutual funds, and that's because I didn't know any better. And thank, thankfully for me, because it kept me in business, the clients didn't know any better. But just like a doctor that gets in this prime or a, a lawyer, when they get in their prime, you start learning better and newer techniques so you can be more appealing to clients. Around 2006, I said, enough of this, um, enough of the salesman stuff, enough of, of you know, selling something. We, we turned our business over to fiduciary advisory, and we went the fee-based route. And we did it way beyond this new government regulation. And it made me, one, it made me feel really bad for the people that became my clients from 2000 to 2005, because I was probably average to, to below average at best back then. But more importantly, I was doing it the way that I am completely against back then. And obviously, it's really helped my career and my business since then, because that's what clients want, is you to be on the same team as them. But um, 
at the end of the day, I, how I started on this concept of the subject was, I just can't believe in 2017. We- Securities and advisory services offered through Investicorp, member FINRA, SIPC. Information provided during the J. Arnold Wealth Management Company show is intended for informational purposes only and should not be considered advice. Please consult with your own investment advisor or tax advisor before making any investment decision. And from News Radio 570 WKBN and Ron Verb, we're talking with uh, John Arnold here tonight. Now, it, now, knowing that we're talking about fees and 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 what it charges in your particular case, when you manage someone's money, you've changed your operations so that y- you don't charge any type of fee when you buy or sell something at all. Correct? That's one hundred percent correct. As a matter of fact, we take it further. We do so. We we. Most of our clients, we give them the option to do what's called a wrap account or a non-wrap account. And what the wrap account does, it stands for a wrap, meaning for a fee, it's a complete wrap of these fees that we pay for you. Meaning that, like when you charge, we use TD Ameritrade and Fidelity as a custodian. The custodians charge how they make their money is 7 to $15 a trade, depending on your agreement. Every time you trade a client's stock or an ETF or a mutual fund, that's there's a transaction charge of about seven to fifteen bucks, depending on your contract. The client has to pay it, or or the general wealth management company has to pay it. Ninety nine point nine percent of our clients would rather we pay all the fees: custodial fees, IRA fees, transactional fees, any of the horse crap fees. That that's how these people nickel and dime make your money and make their money. And I don't blame them. That's what that's how they make their money. But it does drive me crazy. But we take that on for the client. And exchange, the client pays us a one to one half percent charge quarterly, meaning that that one half divided by four gets charged every quarter. Um, and that way, and the reason why we do that, by the way, here's a side note, is we don't charge the one half percent in full up front because, or the one percent, because it's not fair to the client. If we if we say we're, you know, when you lose money, we're going to lose profit, and we make and you make more money, we're going to make more profit, so we're on the same team. But we charge the one to one percent all up front. That's not fair to the client because one, we have not done nothing for them yet, done anything for them yet. But more importantly, uh, let's say I have a bad quarter. Let's say the market, like last last year at this time, had a bad quarter, and I've charged my full one to one percent fee up front, and the client lost money. Then we're truly not being fair, in our opinion, to the client. That's not that, that's that's crap. So and so instead, what we do is we chart. We take that fee at the end of every quarter, multiply it times the you know whatever the account value is, divide that by four, and that's the fee. And we cover all the other costs for the client that way. And that's what I like. I like Kiss, which is keep. I keep try to keep everything simple, stupid. I try to keep it as plain Jane and rudimentary and elementary as you can for for the business. That way, all the focus. Is on the client and the client results, but what we don't do is we don't charge, like you said, five point seven five percent upfront loads for the for that for that mutual fund, or we don't charge two hundred dollars for a stock trade because, you know, one you're putting the client in the hole. If you don't hold that mutual fund for a good three to four years, you, you know, unfortunately, the client's not going to really get the return out of it. Because, like I said, they got to recover 6% just to break even. And what if you buy that fund and it stinks? What if you buy that fund and it's just a bad time in the market? Now you've doubled down. 
and take it from a guy who has experience done, have, have, that has done that, me, I've done that. I have, in 2007, six area, you know, when I was just turning my, 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 my practice over to fee base, in the meantime, we were still doing it the old way. I was putting clients in those, obviously, those upfront load or those annuities, uh, obviously, with the market being high. They charged that, you know, they got charged that 5.75% upfront or got maybe $200 for a, for a uh, stock buy or, the, or this or that. 2007, 8, 9, well, actually, 2008, market collapse happens. They just pay me a bunch of money to really not break even, probably till 2010, 2011. Not fair to the client. It pins me against the client. They, they don't like it. I hate it. But now I'm stuck. I can't get them out of it because to get them out of it, I got to charge them another commission to get something to get them into something that might make money. So you're 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 really tripling down on on the client. One, it's it's very costly. Two. You're, you're, you're forcing a client to really stay into something that might suck for three to four years. And three, that investment advisor slash client relationship should be like a family relationship. It should be endearing. It should be like strat- strategical. It's no longer strategical. Instead, it's, well, this guy's a used car salesman. This guy just, you know, he sold me a, a car with a, with a bad tranny, et cetera. So it's just all around bad, period. And that's why. We moved to an advisory fiduciary standard way before the rules were set. And, and here's the thing. We brought our company revenue down, I'm going to say approximately 85% by doing that because before we were getting between 7 to 5% commissions on, on, on stock trades and mutual fund buys and annuity buys. And we, take that, it's like we took that all the way down the one, to 1 to 1.5%. That was a significant hit on our revenue, but it turned out to be the best thing ever. Is now really a part of the game. So the clients won. I won in the end, but the clients won immediately because I, I seen where the I seen where the market was going. I was tired. I have, you know, on good years I was a hero. On bad years, you know, I was a zero. And the the, the advisor client relationship should at no point in time be anything about compensation to the advisor. It should be a hundred percent about the client and their money. Just like an accountant, just like a lawyer, it should be be a hundred percent about the client, and uh, and that and that's that. And, and I'm I'm real proud of the way we went with that. But uh, but, but you mentioned even on some of the fees that still exist, you pay them, right? I mean, I want to emphasize that. Oh yeah. Well, there's only one way. To, there's only one way to do it. Either the client pays or I pay. Now, at first glance, I think clients that have been used to paying two hundred dollars a trade when they say, well. You have the option now to pay me one percent and pay me you know pay TD Ameritrade or whoever I'm using seven dollars and ninety nine dollars or ten dollars whatever you know the trading costs are at the platform. The clients most clients will say, well that's you know, that's a great thing. That's I'll, I'll gladly pay that ten dollars a trade. Well, here's the thing: if I'm doing my job right and I and I and I take a lot of pride in this, I probably do twenty thirty moves a year, complete reallocations. So clients are getting their money's worth. Now add that up. So that's buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell. So 30 times, you know, obviously 30 times 2 is 600. $600 times 10, or, six, or excuse me, 600 times 10, that's a lot of fees. So my point is, is we have to cover that for the client because if not, the client is going to get dinged. It's going to come off their profit. 
it's just, like I said, it's just not good. The last thing a client wants, especially in a down market, is they'll say, man, I paid money to lose money. And, that, and that's, that's always salty on the relationship. So it, it hurts the bottom line of my firm, uh, no doubt. It really does. But whether you're in business, uh, you know, your steakhouse or lawn care or selling widgets, you do what you have to do to make sure your clients stay with you. And if we can remain profitable and make it efficient for our clients and, and keep our clients happy, that's the key. And that makes my life wonderful by doing that. Clients are happy with us, and, and that's that. All right. Now, I want you to cover one other thing, annuities for people. And what, and, and because mm-hmm. you've said on a program, they're one of the highest feed things out there. Explain. Well, let me, let me, let me break it down a little bit more simple uh, and technical for you. A variable, a variable. Keyword variable annuity is a very costly investment product for you. So there's three types of annuities. One's a fixed annuity, which acts almost identical to a CD um, with an insurance wrap on it. You get roughly two to three percent on it. Uh, it's a decent product if you're willing to stay in for stay in for some for five five to four years, and you don't mind making three percent. Uh, very little fees, if any, on that. And then you got an indexed annuity. An index annuity is very low fees, if any. The problem is, is they get their fee by taking a large portion of your gain uh, when you do make money. So an index annuity is attached to an index. So the underlying um, low is 1%. That means the worst you can make on your money is 1%. The problem with the index annuities, most annuities right now are capping you, index, are capping you at 4%. Well, look at the stock market over the past eight years. Excuse me, seven years. Look at the stock market over the past seven years. The stock market's averaged almost 10% for over the past seven years. That means if the annuity company was capping you at four, they took 6% of your money. Me, I think that's greedy, uh, and I'm not for that. I, you know, I would want, I think, I think it should cap out at maybe seven, and the insurance company gets their two to 3% when the market goes above seven. But, uh, they've been getting greedy, and, and I think a 1% minimum return trade-off is also poor. So right now, index, annu- index annuities are, in my opinion, out of favor. And then third is the one you talked about, variable annuity. So variable annuity is um, similar to, let's say you had a 401K with approximately 20 different investment options inside it. Now imagine this. Your money's guaranteed to grow at a certain rate of return at, say, maybe 7% which is what the big sell is to investors out there. People love the variable news because you get a guaranteed rate of return. Uh, the other sell is the mutual funds inside there. There's no upfront costs. There's no, there's no loads. They, instead of call them mutual funds, they call them sub-accounts. Uh, so same, it's the same exact product, but they're called sub-accounts. And then the other, and then the other thing uh, people love about them is death benefit. So if you put, let's say you put in $200,000 into a variable annuity, and the market fell apart the next year, your $200,000 fell to 130000 I, as an investment guy, could still give your, your, your wife or your husband or your kids $200,000 as if you didn't lose a dime. And the other positive is it's not probatable. So if there's, and I don't even know that's a legal work, but I'm making you one. So you, it doesn't have to go through probate. So there's a lot of good features of the variable annuity, but here's the trade-off. The, 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 remember, an insurance company is offering this. So the trade-off is you're paying approximately 35 to 3.75% in fees a year 
for that insurance. The insurance company is not doing that because they like you. The insurance company is not doing that because, well, we don't want to make a profit this year. The insurance company is doing that because they know there's a very good chance. When I say very good, I mean extremely good chance that that insurance company is going to make more money on your money than you will. Um, they ha- and then the other, so here's the negatives. You're stuck in the investment options that they, they provide for you. The old, well, I at one time loved variable annuities. And, and before people jumped to the conclusion, they said, well, of course you did, 5 to 7% of commissions. Yes, those are very nice, but that's not why I loved them. At one point in time, variable annuities allowed you to get into a, a, part, you know, a, a plethora of at least 70 to 80 different investment options, all the way from no risk to oil and gas funds. So those same exact investment options that were on your Fidelity platform had the equivalent investment options inside an annuity without any loads. What all annuities grow tax deferred, which means when my clients are making money year to year, they weren't having to pay taxes on that money that they made, which made the account grow even further. So one, I was looking like a stud because we didn't have any upfront loads. Two, when I did make money for the client, they didn't have a tax bill to their, you know, from the CPA saying, well, you owe, you owe this much money to the IRS because you had a $400,000 capital gain, et cetera. Well, inside the annuity, you didn't have that. But more importantly is I could reallocate many times over inside that, that variable annuity with, uh, without a charge to the client and a tax liability to the client. So people who weren't in the, inside the annuity would have to do it the old school route inside a brokerage account and get, you know, have to pay large commissions every time they move. So that's the third reason why I did it. And then obviously the fourth reason why I loved annuities was, um, yeah, I had an underlying guarantee behind it, so if I was wrong or the market was wrong, I could go to the client and say, hey, listen, we still got this guaranteed minimum income benefit, uh, which is our safety valve in the event that all, you know, all goes to hell. Here's what happened in 2008 that, that made me hate these companies. So I went from loving them to hating them. Keep in mind, these companies have always charged 3 to 3.5% 3 for this benefit. So keep this in mind. They used to allow you to get into any mutual fund of any kind of risk as long as you kept the money in there four to seven years. So it might have been costly, but still, to me, it was still a pretty decent trade-off. You're getting all these great funds. We can move inside for free. Uh, there's no taxable liability. So it still worked out an advantage to the client. Fast forward to 2008, most of these corporations, most of these insurance companies, inside the prospectus, they stuck it to the clients. They said, you know what, now you're only allowed 20, 30, 40% uh, in these equity funds inside the annuity, and then we're going to force you the other 30, 50% into, the, into these bond funds or into these pre-built models by our money managers, which were boring. They sucked. They, they hardly made any money. And the reason why they did that is because it's a way to trap the client's money into the annuity. If the, if the money, and listen, if, the, if you do the math, if the, if the client has a guarantee on it, but he, in order to get that guarantee, he has to keep it for life or take a draw off that. And you got the market value side of the annuity. The market value side of the annuity is this. So the market value side is a cash out value. That's the, that's the one that changes every day. Well, if it's down because of the 2008 market crash, you're stuck with that guaranteed amount, right? You're stuck with, you're stuck drawing money from that guaranteed amount unless you want to take a heavy beating. 
Well, if you were just in a stripped-down Fidelity account or some American funds or whatever, market you know market rises back, everybody's happy, uh, all all is forgiven, and on our way to to bigger and better things. If you're inside the annuity and they force you into these suck-ass funds, these funds that are terrible, and they're charging a three and a half percent fee, who's winning? The insurance company. The reason why I went from loving them to hating them is I'm the guy that has the answer to the clients, not them. I'm the guy that says, Mr. and Mrs. Client, yeah, you put 200 in, uh, your market value is only 280, but your guaranteed value is 360. And their neighbor's value is at 500. They're saying, well, why is my market value at 260? And the guaranteed value is in the 300s, which is nice, but I can only draw from this. But my neighbor's and his account value at the same risk is 500. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Client, these funds they force us into stink. And two, they're charging three and a half percent a year, so I can't, I can't even put you in anything that's decent because they sliced out all the good ones because they don't want to carry the risk and the cost. And then the other thing is, is now they got your money at three and a half percent for the rest of your life. Uh, it, it's despicable. So, um, so that's why my, I could like I could go in front of a jury and literally just destroy any uh, attorney out there as far as one on one of why I hate annuities versus non-annuities and what they did to the clients in 2009. I know the facts. I've lived it. I know it inside out. And that was my, that's my sudden change. for. So our clients out there that were in annuities and why the sudden change, John doesn't like annuities, there's reasons. There's right, actual it, objective but, reasons. but occasionally you will use them for uh, financial planning. There, there, there are times yeah. when you use them. There's a, there, listen, they're excellent for probate planning. They're excellent for estate planning is what I should say. We have an annuity right now, and this is a total solicitation, but it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. I still can't believe they offer it. You can put in money right now, as long as you're a certain age, and draw out 5% out of the annuity. And then when you die, the insurance company gives your beneficiaries exactly what you started with, as if you didn't take any money out. That's like, let me give you an example in the real world. Let's say that you had an apple tree that dropped 10 apples, you ate four of them, and the next day, the apple tree just reproduced another six for no particular reason. Just magically, you have another. You have exactly what you started with, even though you ate the four apples. This is exactly what this one insurance company does. It's amazing. The other thing is, is I use it for probate planning, and if a, a person can't qualify for life insurance, I get creative when I do some annuity planning with them. So, yeah, listen, I'm not... I'm, I'm not a complete. I don't. I haven't completely shut off the valve for annuities, but if, if it depends on age, and it depends on objective, it depends on you know what the client wants in terms of cost, how long they can hold it in there. But more importantly, what what I think I've done is, and this is a pat on my back myself, but I, it's not meant to be. I think I've grown and understood the what the client wants with the annuity, and that's explanation. What I found is a client thinks they know what they bought when they bought an annuity, and then four years later, between either forgetting or really not understanding it, because at the time it was so damn good, for, you know, fast forward four years later, they have no idea what they bought. So what I do now is I do a way better job of telling them the goods and the bads, why it makes sense, why it doesn't, let them make the decision. And then I, and I write things down in layman terms for them to understand what it does and how it works, well, obviously, we get the prospectus and the fact sheets and all the pretty pages, but I've done a way better job now of helping the client understand what they bought 
versus back when these things were first listed in between 2000 and 2006, you know, we were selling every advisor out there. We were selling like hotcakes. We were getting guaranteed 7% at highest daily living. I mean, they were locking in the market highs and getting 7% when the market didn't go up. It was just, honestly, it was just a, it was a great time to sell annuities at that time. And then obviously the whole world changed in 2008 and it went from being a great thing to a horrible thing. And uh, lesson learned, lesson learned from an advisor standpoint, lesson learned from an industry standpoint, more importantly, lesson learned from a client standpoint. So to get back on topic, what you said, yes, I do use them for estate planning. And I also use them for people like my mom. My mother is a risk adverse, no risk person, doesn't care how much material I show her from 1929 and what the SP 500 does. Does not care, does not want to open up her statement at any one at any one time and see a loss. Okay, here's a safety valve, here's an annuity. And there's some clients, and then remember, we got to do what the client wants, not what JR and Wealth Management wants. There's some clients that want that safety and security, no matter what, come hell or high water, what was the guarantee behind it. What was the annuity you say when you start taking money out, you're taking your money out, not the insurance company's money, right? No. Now you're taking the insurance company money as long as you hold it in there for death benefit. That's what makes it even more beautiful. So give you an example. You put in $200,000, you die five years later, but you've taken out $10,000 a year. So if that was a CD, you would have $150,000 left, correct? Mm -hmm. Well, your your beneficiaries would receive $150,000 the day you died. Well, with this particular annuity, you're they actually received two hundred thousand dollars as if you didn't take any money out, and there, it's there's no, no annuitization period, there's no bells and whistles, there's no catch, there's no joining come lately. It's what you get. You get exactly what you started with or more if the market value passed, even though you've taken out five percent a year, and that's for life. And and you've uh, done you've done this a long time. Anyone listening, whether they're a, a client of yours or anyone else, should leave the office fully understanding their investment, right? If you're in an annuity, how it works, what it works. If you're in a ETF or anything, you should understand what, what sectors you're in, why you're in it. You should understand it's your money, right? Well, let me put it this way. I think they did... Um they did a survey. Do you know more? most people spend more time planning their vacations and buying appliances than they do investing in their own financial portfolio? So if you were going to Home Depot and buy, you know, the latest, greatest refrigerator, you'd pro- and then comparing it to so-and-so down the street, you're, 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 you're price comparison, but you're also looking at options. Same thing with buying cars. You want to know what this Cadillac does versus what this Buick does versus what this Ford does, et cetera. The same exact philosophy holds true with investing in, in investment vehicles. Here's the problem. Again, this is through experience. People feel stupid when they're talking about investments because, like me, growing up with moderate money, we, the, the term stock market and country club and all the things that go with the financial industry, that was, those terms weren't in my household. And most, most of the people, especially in Truck County, the same holds true. They understand they had a pension or a 401k. And, it, and then when they retired, they were supposed to get a lump sum or a distribution from it. And that's all they know. But those times have changed because obviously the safeguards of pension and defined benefit plans are gone. So, yes, slow down. Understand that damn investment portfolio. 
as much as you understand anything else you do in your life, because you know what? It's your money in your life. And it's your retirement. Say, I'm sorry? It's your retirement. Pay attention. Exactly. And it's your hard-earned money, even if it's not for retirement. Even if it's for, uh, you know, 10 years, I just want to see what I can do for the next 10 years. It's still your money. And and then, and then if, even if you inherit it, someone down the line worked hard for it. So that's that. Um Keep it in mind. Yeah, it really is common sense. All right. John Arnold's our guest. He's here Mondays at 6. Now, if you want to talk with John Arnold off the air, uh, first explain where your office is located and your telephone number, how to get a hold of you, uh, and also your website. Okay. You can get a hold of us, uh, 330-965-9890. That's my phone. Give the secretaries a call. to set you up a free consultation. We don't even give. We don't even care to much ask as your last name. We just want to hear about you. We're trying to accomplish. We'll give you our, you know, a free rebuttal. Make another appointment if you want to become a client. Secondly, check out our website at www.jewealth.net. www.jewealth.net. You can check us out on Facebook as well. And then I'm located uh, right past Tippecanoe, Canoe, up the hill, Star Center area. If you go on the Star Center, you take a left on the street on the last building on the left. The very last building on the left, the opposite end of the poorhouse, you'll find us there on the left. And, again, if you're looking for a free consultation, you're looking for a guy that's not going to make you feel like you you got to buy it right here, right now, and get a second opinion or a third, we're your people. There you have it. John Arnold, straightforward, teaching a little uh, investing here. He's here Mondays at 6. Thank you, John. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. News Radio 570 WKVN and Ron Ferb wishing you a good evening.